Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show, we have Dennis Kaiser, the founder and CEO of Forecast. Forecast helps project-based companies automate operations, empower people, and leverage insights to drive business performance and client success. Their goal is to eliminate all manual processes of resource and project management by using artificial intelligence to set up and manage projects automatically. We chat about why retention is Forecast's biggest lever for growth, with 80-90% to 90% of new users coming from organic sources. We also discussed how to set up a churn prediction model, what variables to include in a lead scoring model, and how to use your ideal customer personas in your lead scoring and churn prediction models. Dennis also shared the quantitative measures you can take to flesh out your ideal customer personas and how transitioning from a startup to scale-up impacts your personas. I hope you enjoy this episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, Dennis, how are you doing? I'm very good. Thanks. How are you? Very good. Thanks. So, welcome to the show. It's good to have you here today. Um, yes, yeah, so we were just chatting before the show that you're based out in Copenhagen in Denmark. Uh, is that correct? correct. Yeah, that's correct. So we are about uh, 40 people sitting here in, in the Copenhagen office, uh, spread across, I think, 13 or 14 nationalities in the, in the team. So so quite an international team. Oh, wow. Very international. I know like Copenhagen or Denmark in specific had like quite a big pull to try and pull out internationals or try and draw internationals to Denmark. Uh, was that any influence? Like, do you think that's helped at all the government's efforts to do so? <laughs> That's always difficult going into politics. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I think uh, I think it, you know it's not the worst country, but it, you know it, it could be easier if you ask me. Right? I you know I have quite an experience uh, getting people from abroad now, right? With with that many people on the team from from outside of Denmark, but you know, uh, yeah, absolutely. it's not bad, but it's not the worst either. For sure. I think the one thing I loved about Denmark in my time there was just how super organized and clean everything was, and. The underground, uh, taking the underground feels like in a spaceship, like in in the future. So. Yeah, it's pretty. Uh, it's it's you know everything is like in in proper order here. I think right. I had a, a job candidate coming from New York uh, a month ago, and and she was also very impressed about the whole infrastructure thing. Here. Um, yeah. So talking about order, then uh, I think like maybe we can just get an intro, and if you want to give us some insight into what Forecast does, so it's uh, it's helping better planning across project management and resource scheduling. But maybe you just want to give us a little bit more. So you're 40 plus people now. Uh, what is it you do? Um, how do you help? 
So, so uh, yes, so we so we we built a product that is uh, you know uh, you know you've heard of it before, right? Project and, and resource management with a focus on the resource management part. Um, we do a few things that are very different from from what is out there. Um, first of all, um, the whole core of the system is basically an AI and machine learning data science engine, um, which is able to ingest uh, data from an unlimited number of third party systems, and and basically we train the AI on on data that's already lying dormant uh, for a lot of companies that you know they have a lot of data typically that they're not really using actively, and we're actually giving them an opportunity to. To use that to to be basically become better and 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 you know better at planning and better at like managing the operations and, and things like that. Very nice. So do, it, you want, do you want to talk us through? Sorry, just do you want to talk us through maybe a typical example of how a company would use you and what sort of yeah. the data sources they would pull through to be able to uh, get some yeah. results. Um, so so a good example would be uh, an advertising agency. They might have a CRM system on one side, right, and they might have an accounting system on the other side. Uh, and then they might or might not have uh, some sort of uh, task management system um, that, that they're using. And typically, those three uh, let's take those examples are not necessarily well integrated. So you know there'll be a lot of kind of Excel magic or you know just general spreadsheet work that's typically going on in, in these types of, of companies. And what we provide is actually a, a platform where we ingest all those three data sources uh, and then show a full. Uh, one page basically overview of everything that that goes across those systems right so so you can use us in both a, a sense of data brokering between systems but also to get the the actual real-time overview of what's going on across your in, entire organization basically um, so so all of us come from a, an enterprise background um, and you know we've, we've taken a lot of the ideas from you know classical enterprise ERP type of systems and, and building that into a package that's a little bit more digestible for uh, smaller to medium-sized companies. Very cool. Uh, just taking a look at your website as well, like uh, you have some really good integrations, I think, where you can pull different sources from. How many integrations do you have in total? Uh, that's a good question. I think we have around 25 or so. We're building roughly, with, with the integration team now, it's building roughly about two, two a month or something like that. Cool. And so how long have you been going then? Now, when did you get started? Sure. Uh, so we got started back in, uh, actually, uh, I get asked this quite quite a lot, so I know the exact date. It was the 15th of September, 2016, so like two years, two and a half years ago, okay. um, more or less. Um, so, so still quite young, um, but, but you know, moving moving quite fast. Yeah, definitely. Sounds like you're growing quite fast. Um, so let's switch lanes in a little bit then and talk about growth and uh, like what is some of your main like growth channels that you see today? Uh, how are you acquiring customers? Um, so we've been a, a product-led, you know, company from the beginning, right? So, so out of the the forty people right now, uh, almost almost thirty actually of those people are in product. Um, so it's a very very product-heavy company still. Um, so so that has helped us generate a lot of word of mouth. Um, so we get uh, about eighty to ninety percent of our customers coming to us uh, organically. Um, wow. Which which means that we can actually we build quite an efficient engine of of people coming to us instead of us trying to come to people, um, so so that's our, basically our only source of, of income right now is people calling us and asking to buy the product. Um, we're building that out, but you know it's uh, it's something we just started more or less like a month or two ago. So just so still 
Yeah. So I, I can see then obviously retention is probably one of your biggest drivers of growth. And so the longer people yes. stick around, the more word of mouth is available and the bigger it builds up your defensibility. So let's yes. shift gears then talk a little bit about retention. So you're two years in now. Um, what are some of the things that you've looked at when it comes to increasing retention? When did you sort of realize you needed to actually start looking at retention? Uh, we can start there. Yeah. So I think, you know, when Obviously, having people come in organically and not doing much to, to get people um, requires that, you know, that the, as you're saying, the people that come, we, we actually need to need them to stick around, right? And the, and the best way to make them stick around is actually to produce a, a good product, right? Um, so I think, you know, from our perspective, we try to listen very closely to, to our customers uh, and we try to, to take all the input we can from them because obviously we have great ideas of, of building stuff, but, but it's different when you actually talk to people that are using the product on an, on an everyday basis. So I think um, having a focus on that and then obviously in the beginning providing really, really good customer service. So maybe at a stage where you've launched a product and it might be a little bit early uh, and you're getting kind of the first early adopters on, uh, really giving them, you know, if, if the product is not at a stage where you, you know, obviously you should always be a little bit embarrassed about your product, I guess, right? But but if it's like really early, you really want to make sure that people have a good experience, and you try your best to kind of to kind of help them get going. Uh, and then, I mean, at that point, you're selling a lot on the vision part, right? So so, you know, helping customers understand, you know, where are you going with the product, and you know, why should they, you know, trust something that's that's fairly young still? Yeah, absolutely. I think. Uh, at the early stage, you are lucky that you have your early adopters that are typically tend to be quite a bit more forgiving and uh, allow you to make mistakes. Uh, at the same yes. time, though, you really want to make sure that you're looking after these because these are going to be the biggest word of mouth advocates that your company will ever have. Yeah. So, so we've tried to kind of really have a good focus on on customer success, right, and making sure that people are happy. We have like you know quick turnaround on on uh, questions on the chat and, and support tickets and stuff like that. Uh, and then just really doing our best to kind of help people to work around until we have, you know, might build a, a fix or whatever we, we, we need to build, right, to, to satisfy whatever the needs are for the customers. Cool. So interesting then. Let's just understand a little bit about the breakdown. So you mentioned you're 40 now, 30 people, mostly product. Uh, what is the makeup then when it comes to customer success? What uh, Out of the remaining 10, how many of those are in customer success? Uh, so we have two in customer success. Um, so so the Good thing about our product is that it doesn't require like continuous support, right? It's mainly to get going and, and in, in the early phases of, of adopting the product. Once you're kind of up and running, then it's, it's very much kind of, you know, they, they maintain themselves. Um, so, so our focus is to really, you know, so we have a, a two-week trial experience once you sign up, right? Uh, that should obviously be, be good. And, and then once you start, you know, becoming a customer, then we have the strategy of, of making sure that customers have a really good experience the first 90 days. Um, and then we can see if they've had a good experience for the first 90 days, then typically, you know, they're up and running and then they, they'll be happy, right? Um, yeah. Uh, and, and when you say that those first 90 days, uh, it's quite important that they're up and running and that they're happy. Like, it, And you mentioned as well, as well that your tool uses AI in the back end to help to, for companies to be able to forecast and understand uh, the resource management better. But when it comes to your own internal resource and your own forecasting, are you doing anything in terms of sort of like predictive measures to try and understand how likely a customer is to be successful and to stick around with you? Is this something yeah. that you've looked into? Yes. 
So, we, I mean, we are, you know, I'm a computer scientist by background. So, you know, yeah. very keen on kind of product and data and, 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 and metrics. Um, so so we, we try to do everything in a data-driven fashion, right? So we try to not make decisions based on anything else but data um, to, to kind of remove the, the human error uh, of that, right? So, so we build models and, and tools in-house where we can, you know, understand, you know, if, if people are starting to show patterns of, uh, you know, less engagement or, you know, there'll be, uh, you know, suddenly a drop in logins from a certain amount of, of users and stuff like that, right? So we try to kind of measure that and then we have, you know, continuous uh, surveillance of, of usage um, so we can make sure that, that we catch people that are, you know, showing signs of, of not being happy, right? Because you, you will often face that uh, customers will not tell you if they're unhappy, right? Uh, you know, if you're lucky, some people will start telling you and then at some point they'll give up, right? But yeah. a lot of people actually not tell you, they'll just all of a sudden kind of drop off the radar and then you're like, ooh, and now we lost them, right? And then by so that time, to be, it's too late. Yeah, trying to be proactive in, in that sense, right? Cool. So I, I want to dive into this quite a bit deeper as well. Like it sounds like you have a lot of experience in the area too as well. Um, how would somebody go about setting up a predictive model of themselves to understand uh, how if customers are likely to churn or to fall off? Like, what are the steps that you take when it comes to getting something like this set up? Yeah, so I think um, it, it, it's very much in, in kind of the same way that you're trying to build like some sort of lead scoring for people that are coming into your funnel, right? You, you kind of have to have the same model for people that are in the system and, and, and then, you know, in, in, the, in the exit funnel, if you want to call it that, right? Um, so I think one, one thing we've done is we've really tried to experiment a lot, right? So trying to build something that was simple. So as a simple thing, uh, an example could be, you know, measuring, you know, on average, uh, how many page views will, uh, you know, an active user have, for instance, right? And then you can kind of build out the model saying, okay, we will have different patterns, right? So one user will view this page X amount of times on an average on per week or, or per month or whatever it is. And, and this other type of user will, will view another page on, you know, X amount of time uh, over a week or a month. And then basically starting to build out like patterns and, and looking at that data. And that's, you know, I don't think there's an easy way to do that. I think it's a lot of manual work and just kind of looking at, at you know, customers Discovery. that you talk to that are happy, right? And then seeing customers that leave and try to kind of deduce patterns from, from their behavior that you can use in, in, in some sort of modeling. It will never be perfect. It'll be like a, a continuous work in progress, right? Also as, as your product will evolve, right? Yeah. So, so what you're saying as well then is you, you take a look at anyone that's churned and who's left and try and understand what their behavior and their usage look like that led yes. to that moment. Yes. Um, and that could, for instance, it could be like, uh, imagine you have 10 paying users on, on your product, right? And then for one account, right? And then all of a sudden, eight of them are not logging anymore, right? Uh, then you could get this notion in your head that, you know, maybe the two that are left are just trying to right now migrate that data and then leave, right? Yeah. Um, so, so you can kind of, you know, fairly roughly start getting something, right? And then you can refine it over time, right? I think that would be kind of the pitch. Cool. And w w like you've mentioned two different data points now, I think both are interesting in their own right. Like the one was like page views and uh, how many page views users have. The other one was looking at sort of how many users are in the account. Are there any other sort of uh, things that you've looked at internally when it came to the model that you built for your company? Um, yeah, so we look at a lot of metrics. Um, so, so another thing you could do, so it, 
might not necessarily be page views, right? It could also be like, uh, I was going to be a little bit technical, right? But it could be like number of objects created by a user, for instance, right? It yeah. could be number of objects created by a certain user type. Uh, so, so let's say in our case, right, we, we basically have projects and tasks and, and allocations, right? That could be three, three things we're, we're looking at. And then saying, okay, on average, a user will create X amount of tasks per you know, unit, right? Yeah. And that suddenly changes drastically uh, in a negative direction. Obviously, if they just start creating more, right, that's great, right? Because then you have nothing to worry about, then, then they're showing adoption. Uh, but if it's starting to, to trend negatively, then that could also be indicators of, of something that's not really working correctly or, or well. And slow usage. Very cool. So I, I really like as well that you say the way you view it as well as sort of the exit funnel and the opposite to sort of what a lead scoring uh, model would look like. Because I think that's typically like uh, in any marketing team, like the, everybody wants to understand the quality of leads coming through as well. And this is just gauging and taking a look at sort of the quality of customers and their active usage like before churning. Um, let's talk about the other side then as well. So you mentioned like this lead scoring model. Um, and mm -hmm. since we're on the topic of models and building them out now, when it come, came to sort of the model that you built out um, for your lead scoring at uh, Forecast, mm -hmm. what are some of the variables that you considered there? Was churn or attention a consideration in modeling that out as well? Like, how did you understand and decide what the profile of a uh, qualified lead looked like? So those are two, like in my opinion, those are two completely different models, right? So, so we will have lead scoring on one side where, where the behavior will be, that will be more of about kind of tracking page views or tracking, you know, downloads or blog views or, or, or stuff like that, right? Yeah. Uh, return users and things like that, right? Where you're on the exit funnel, it's, it's mainly, I mean, you know who the people are basically, right? So, so you, can, you can do a much more kind of, direct measurement on a single company, for instance, right? Where you are in a, in a lead scoring model, you know, it, you might not be able to connect the sources saying, let's imagine you have a customer coming in and it's IBM, right? Or something like a, a Microsoft, right? Then, you know, it might be Microsoft coming in from two different countries, right? So, so you might not be able to kind of connect that data immediately, right? That, that could be quite difficult from, from the inbound, uh, inbound, inbound uh, channel, right? Yeah. Uh, but on the outbound, right, you know that these guys are, you know, Microsoft in, in the U.S., right, or Microsoft in California or wherever it is, right? Um, so, so I think the, the, the lead scoring model will be much more imprecise than the, than the, the exit, the exit uh, churn predictor, I would say. Right? Yeah. Uh, so uh, the lead scoring then as well, like, so the question that I had in mind was like, when you're looking at the variables that go into the lead score and how you qualify leads, do you take into consideration any of the indicators that uh, lead to long-term retention? So, uh, yeah, so we can obviously see patterns of, you know, so, so what we've done is we've built out um, basically user personas and, 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 and a model for an ideal customer for us, right? Um, so obviously that, that plays a large part in, in, the, in the lead scoring and the qualification part of the, the customers we're trying to close, right? Because we can see, for instance, that, you know, you might have uh, a very, very tiny company, right? Let's say they're five people, right? That might not be a good fit for us, right? Where we are more closely targeting, you know, a company that, that would be like 50 people. Um, so, so those are some of the parameters that could go into the lead scoring, right? And we can also see then on the churn on the other side, right? Seeing, okay, we know that, you know, all customers that are below uh, five users, right? They typically churn after X months, right? That could be uh, a thing, right? Yeah. Um, 
but users that are above, let's say, 25 users, they typically adopt in this trend. So, so you'll have patterns based on, you know, that could be sector, it could be company size, as I'm just referring to. Um, it could be actually also based on, on countries, right? So you might have a great customer base in, uh, in Germany, right? But a terrible customer base in France for some, you know, reason that you might not be able to, to deduce, right? Um, so I think uh, the, it's, it's important. I mean, churn kills SaaS companies, right? So it's important that you, uh, that you get that under control for your ideal customer. I mean, if people sign up and they start paying and they're not in that segment, then I would not worry about them, right? Yeah. Um, so I think you should also consider when you're building your product, who you're building it for, right? So you can make sure that you can get the right people in because obviously churn is never good, right? But if, if you're churning a lot of the right ones, that's going to sound wrong, right? But, but if you actually do that, then that actually might be better for you, right? Yeah. Um, uh, and let's talk about the ideal customer then as well, because this is something we've talked about on the show quite a lot. And a lot of it's been very um, qualitative when it comes to how that you go about defining it. You mentioned like quantitative aspects now and some of the variables that you look at when defining like so, and since you're very data driven as an organization, when it came to sort of defining your ideal customer profile, what are some of the quantitative measures you took and some of the data points that you pulled in? So you mentioned things like the country, the number of users in the account, what are the variables are you looking at and trying to understand? And how did you get these data sources to be able to sort of compile this profile? Um, so, so basically, the first step of that is is really doing a lot of, yeah, very qualitative, actually doing interviews and, and understanding customers of different sectors and different segments, right? Yeah. Um, so I think that the, the quant or the qualitative uh, aspect has to come first, right? And then once you have a, a good idea about that, right, then you can start looking at quantities, right? Um, so, so let's, let's imagine you have, uh, um, so in our case, for instance, right, our first target was to go for, for advertising agencies, right? Because they had a good profile and we were building a product in a, in a space we really understood very well. Uh, and, and, and that is actually, it's still a good customer group for us. Uh, but we are seeing that other groups that are very similar to them, um, might actually be better customers, right? Because they have a little bit of a more robust business model, for instance, right? Or things like that, that, you know. Uh, an agency might unnecessarily have, right? Uh, so you can also kind of look at industries that are, you know, either underserved in terms of, of current products or um, also in, you know, it's ideal to have customers that are also somewhat robust, right? So if you're in, a, in you know, yeah. let's imagine you're building a product for startups, right? It's always a, a pretty terrible market to be in, right? Because startups never have any money, right? And they, they go out of business all the time, right? Yeah. So So in that model, you will very quickly end up spending a lot of time getting customers in and then the customers will kind of leave at almost the same pace right um and if you're trying to build a recurring model then that that becomes very difficult right um and, and you know agencies operate very differently right but but for a lot of agencies actually it's a little bit the same right so so they will often go bankrupt to be honest uh and and that's not necessarily the greatest right when you're trying to build a recurring model where you actually have people you need your customers to be on for a certain amount of time before you have paid back the cost of acquiring them. Yeah. Um, so, so I think that's also something that should come into consideration when you're doing both the lead scoring and also your, your triggers. Yeah. And I think also maybe to that point as well is like, you need to understand where on the budget you lie as well as a tool yeah. and how valuable you are to the organization. Cause if you're at the yeah. bottom of the list and you're the first one to go out the door when things go bad, then you've got a yes. problem. And I say, you know, typically if you have a, 
a product where let's say you, you're selling something for, for an organization, right? And, and let's say you're charging $200, right? And, and customers are complaining that that's too expensive. That's again, also gives you an indicator of, you know, how, where are you in that hierarchy, right? That you just mentioned. Exactly. Um, so, so if you're 10 people and, and you're discussing $200 a month, right? Then that discussion is ridiculous if, if you have any value to provide, right? Um, cool. So let's move on to then something a little bit different uh, away from the, the quantitative side and maybe speak to something that you've done specifically at Forecast when it came to actually trying to tackle churn. Um, mm-hmm. Is there anything specific that you've tried that's been really successful for you over and above customer success? Um, yeah, so I think um, obviously trying to, I think I think one, one thing we've learned if you want to take something that's both good and bad, right, is actually that, you know, uh, in the beginning we tried to force people into kind of an onboarding where they kind of had to talk to a person and, and, and really do the, the manual route for, for understanding the product. And we've tried to make that now optional and, and you know, supplementing that with kind of more of a self, self-help type of thing, like a knowledge base and, and, and some videos and stuff like that, right? And, and basically giving people options for how they want to learn the product instead of trying to force them into one model. Um, because I think if you try to force people into one model, you will see that, you know, some people will like it, but some people will also just hate it, right? Um, so trying to give people options, I think, is, is important. Um, How did you come to that conclusion? Like, what were some of the insights or some of the feedback that you got that you said, okay, wait, we need to sort of diversify and fix this? So the first thing we did actually was we said, okay, we want people to learn the product, right? Let's make uh, let's make customer success uh, and, and onboarding a free thing, right? Let's just have them, you know, we'll give away that for free so we make sure that people actually get on, right? But actually that, that ended up having the adverse effect of people just kind of staying away or being like, ah, it's free, I can just do it next week, right? And then you're like 18 weeks later, right? And you actually never managed to get the customer to use the product because they always kind of have other more important stuff. Um, so, so kind of turning that around and saying, okay, we're actually going to charge for this. It's actually because it's actually not, we're actually helping you train yourself to become better, right? So it's actually fair enough that we charge for it, right? And if you start charging for it, then people also get a different mindset, right? Because then they're like, oh, I paid for this thing. So I actually want to get the training, right? But if it's free, it, it, it feels like it's, the value is zero, right? Yeah. Um, so that's one thing that's, that's interesting. Another thing that, that I think we, we did was in, in the beginning, we, we tried to make it difficult for people to leave us if they wanted to leave. And I think that's again, has an adverse effect, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if, if people want to leave, it should actually be easy for them to kind of you know, go and, and, and buy something else or do something different, right? Um, because I think if you try to kind of lock people in, in a way that's, you know, that, that no one feels like that is a, a nice way to, to part with something that might not be a good fit for you, right? Absolutely. And especially, I think, in your case, where 80 to 90% is coming from word of mouth, you really want yeah. to make sure that you're protecting that word of mouth. Yeah. Uh, like, that's also, how did that come about? So, like, you decided, okay, let's try and, and make it difficult for them to quit. And then you realize, okay, we actually need to fix this now. Like, what was some of the feedback you were hearing? Like, how did you get to the point where you realized, okay, this is something we need to fix ASAP? I mean, at some point you will get some angry emails for people saying, we tried to quit their product, right? And we can't really do it uh, because it was a manual, pro- a manual process win. Uh, so that's one thing. Um, and, you know, I, I, really, I really believe in, in listening very closely to your customer and what they're saying, right? 
not necessarily what they're requiring, but what they're saying, so you can try to solve the problem, hopefully in a better way than they could imagine themselves. Um, but I, I, you know, I think I don't think you should build like really difficult, you know, uh, you know, super long exit pool type of thing, right? I think you should try to obviously get it'd be great to from from a product perspective to understand why people want to leave, right? So I think you should try and do that, right? But I don't think you should, you should make like a lengthy, lengthy process, right? Because that will just end up in, in furious emails from, from people. From people, yeah. I think definitely churn uh, surveys or exit surveys can be very, very valuable, yes. but it, you need to make sure that you're not crossing the line when it comes to that threshold of people's patience. And yes. considering taking their psychology at that point in time as well, when they've really made conscious effort to want to cancel and quit your product. Yeah, exactly right. And then, then another thing is is then trying to win back customers who you already lost, right? That's also kind of also almost dead in the water, right? So, so I think you know, yeah, and I, I you think only have one chance, right? And if people, if you blew that, right, then you blew it, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think this is something as well. Like when people hear the word churn and how you go about tackling it, like the first sort of things that come to mind is trying to bring back people, trying to win back those that have left. When you start to actually get into the problem and tackling it, you realize like the biggest impact that you can ever have is making sure that people are onboarded successfully and getting value yes. that they never get to that point. So the prevention is better than cure. Yeah, so I think proactive prevention is important, right? Because if, if you if you turn them around like at the last second when they're trying to kind of quit, then you know, you might extend let's let's say you extend their their, their subscription for like two months, right? And then they quit anyways, right? Yeah. Um, unless you do, I mean, you have to do something completely drastical to to make them kind of, you know, come back to life and be like, hey, okay, I'm sorry, I tried to leave. It was, I, I, I made a mistake, right? Because that's typically not the process from a customer perspective, right? You're not solving their problem, and that's why they're leaving. For sure. Uh, yours, for your company as well, was this something that you had realized from the get-go? Or was it something that you figured out along the way when you were looking at how to go about increasing retention? Um, so I think we've, we've learned it along the way. I think as, as you start a company and you start building a product, then, then the first early adopters will not necessarily understand the direction you're taking and, and, and what the vision is you have for the product, right? Because if it's just a vision, then, you know, you will, I could tell you my vision for, you know, uh, something, right. And then you will get a different idea than what I have, right. If, if I'm not really explaining it in a very, very specific way. Um, so I think you should also not be afraid of of kind of your customer base moving uh, or changing over time, right? Um, so you might have customers that are great when you start out because you might have a simple product. Let's take that as an example, right? And then as you build on more stuff, uh, you will actually be a better fit for a different target segment. Um, so I think you know you should also not be afraid of kind of clinging on to uh, legacy customers just because they've been there for a long time, right? I, yeah. I think you know. Uh, sometimes it's a little bit healthy to to let people go, right? <laughs> For sure. I think this is something we discussed in a previous episode uh, as well when looking at sort of understanding the different stages of growth of your company and the different types of customers. And I think it's it's one of those things uh, that we talked about with Julie from Drift. Uh, and yep. she, like she saw that at HubSpot and, and at Drift likewise. It, you underestimate the impact of that transition from sort of those like early adopters to then into sort of the early uh, majority. Um, yes. What a difference that can make actually on churn and retention. And if you're not adapting to the changing market uh, needs, then uh, you can end up uh, being impacted very heavily by it. 
Um, yeah, and also, I mean, if, if, you, if you just do the math on it, right, let's say you have a, a, a simple product in the beginning, right, and you charge $100 for it a month, right, and then as, as you mature, you end up charging $1,000, right, then it's actually, you know, <laughs> it's actually not that many you need of the new customer segment, right, to, to actually completely get rid of your old segment, if that makes sense. Yes, for sure. Uh, another thing on this topic that I think is crucial is, and you touched on it a little bit, is positioning uh, and how important positioning is to get it right. Because essentially, I think having a really solid positioning of your product that people have a clear understanding of what it is. So like you mentioned, the vision example, you can tell me one vision for your company and I can understand something completely different at the early stage. But mm-hmm. as you get to that more mature stage, having a solid positioning can also be one of those very big levers that helps with actually churn and retention uh, yes. indirectly. Uh, is this something that you've also noticed now, like as you've grown and really trying to work and solidify your positioning around the product? Yes, it's, it's a very large piece of what, what we're doing actually at the moment, right? As, as we have now become quite a mature, you know, going from a startup to a scale up of whatever you want to call it, right? Um, so I think, you know, what, what we're doing, we're doing analysis on the lead scoring, for instance, right? Is, is we're looking at, at customers, we, we basically group them into two segments. So we, 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 we call uh, one group the, the fit customers, so the customers that are good fit for us. And then we have the rest, right? And, and we try to increase the, the percentage of uh, trial signups to be as many in the fit category, obviously, as possible. Right? Yeah. Um, so also the way that we prioritize the, the, the sales guy's time, right, is actually that they, they spend their time on the, on the fit targets, right? If, if we run out of fit targets, let's say that, right, then they can spend time on the other guys, right? But typically, we know that if they are not categorized automatically by, by the system as being fits, then you know we might be able to convert them, and the system might have you know made a mistake. But but in general, it's you know they're not something we should spend time on. Um, yeah, and the more you go into, the more clearer that picture becomes. It's what you said yeah. earlier as well. I think like yeah. constantly working on these models and understanding of who your customer are and uh, what are the drivers that are keeping them to stick around. Yeah, I mean that's it's super difficult in the beginning, right? You're you're a little bit kind of fumbling in the dark, right? Uh, and you know you you need to talk to like let's say. 10 customers is a good start, right? Or potential customers, right? And then you need to talk to the next 100, right? So, so it requires quite a lot of, uh, of interaction. Um, and I think maybe sometimes people underestimate that a little bit. Um, yeah, definitely. And I think that people forget as well that as you grow, you need to continue doing that and you need to yes. uh, increase the volume. It's not just sort of, okay, things are going well now. We don't need to speak to customers anymore. Yeah. Um, Question, um, you, I want to put you sort of in a position now and just get your thought process of how you go about uh, tackling it. So let's imagine in a new world, uh, you'll be starting a new job at yep. a company, uh, you arrive and you notice that sort of churn is, is not looking good, uh, mm-hmm. the numbers are really bad, uh, and you've been asked and tasked to try and help turn things around for the company. What would be some of the first things that you would look to uh, start doing and working on? So I think the, the, the first thing you have to do is to understand what, what, who are we building this for, right? Because coming back to, you know, you might have high churn, but if it's the wrong type of customer, then it might actually be not, not so terrible, right? Um, so I think that the first step would be to really understand who the customers we're targeting, right? Maybe even kind of uh, individual personas or roles or however you want to kind of target that, right? Uh, and then after that, I would, I would probably look at, you know, what is the onboarding process, right, for, for adopting the product? Um, you know, obviously also taking into account is it a complex product or a less complex product? Uh, so obviously if, 
If it's a very, very simple product, then you can get away with less. If it's a very, very complex product, you might, you know, be better off only showing parts of the product uh, over time, right? So, so the people can get comfortable with it. Um, and, and also depending on what you want to do. So I think the, the main thing that, that you want to do is you want to make sure that when you have signups that come in, trial signups, uh, or however, whatever your model is, is you want to make sure that you wow them in, in, in quite fast, right? As fast as possible, ideally. And then once people are through that, you know, what I would call an evaluation phase and they've decided, okay, this, this is for me, right? Then you can actually do what we would call the onboarding and, and actually then learn them how to use the product. Right? Uh, so I, I'd like to break it up into two, two kind of phases, which is kind of the evaluation phase and then the, the actual onboarding phase where you would, you know, I think a lot of products try to learn you the products as the first thing. Yeah. Uh, where you're not even in a position to learn it, right? Then you just get annoyed, right? You're actually in a position where you're trying to evaluate with, whether this is for you or not. Um, for, for sure. Yeah, so uh, like what you're saying as well, is like you really just want to understand who your customers are, have a really good understanding, and then next step is like, how can I wow these customers as fast as possible yes. before I start like worrying about how to onboard them and make sure that they know how to use every intricate detail uh, of my product. Yes, exactly, right? So there's no point in learning them how to do some sort of uh, administrative task down in the bottom of the admin interface, right? If they're not even a customer yet, right? And, yeah. and I think a lot, of, a lot of products have that assumption that people just come to buy, right? But a lot of people come to just browse, right? I think I read a stat somewhere that, you know, if you have like a, a, a trial sign-up uh, system, right, then you know, about 70 or 80% of the people that sign up will actually never become customers, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well, because it's to the nature of that low friction, uh, and especially it's even more so when you don't have to provide a credit card, I think. Exactly. Right. So I think that's why you can, you can game, you can game that, that conversion on your, on your inbound funnel a little bit, right? If you have a high, you know, a high wall of entry to get in because you have a credit card wall or something like that, right? And yeah. obviously your, your conversion down the, the rest of the funnel will be higher, right? But you're, you're not putting that many into the top funnel, right? Uh, it depends on how you want to structure it. I'm, I'm not saying that one is better than the other. It, I think it very much depends on the product you're building. And the business. So if you had to leave the listeners with like one thought to think about, or one of the most critical things that they could do when it comes to tackling churn, uh, what would that be? So this is a, an old, an old, uh, you know, you've heard this a million times. I think the, 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 you should ideally try to build a product that inherently is viral. It's going to sound wrong, right? But it's, it's, you need to build a product that, that really increases value over time, right? So if you build a product that increases value over time for your customers, right, then you will, you will end up in, 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 a, in a negative churn scenario, right, which is where you want to be ideally. Right? Um, so, so that would be kind of my focus uh, be on the product because, you know, you you cannot really brute force a a sales model and an anti-churn model on something that's not good, right? And that's not growing with value over time. Yeah. I think definitely that concept of stored value uh, yeah. is one of the biggest impactors when it comes to like keeping people around. When the switching costs become too high uh, and people are really getting value and it grows over time, it's, it's definitely the sweet spots when it comes to yeah. any company. Cool. Dennis, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today. Like, uh, thank you very, very much for joining. Um, it sounds like in a very good state as well, the company, very exciting stages now of growth uh, yeah. out in Copenhagen. So I wish you the best of luck uh, going forward and 
Uh, thanks again for joining. Thank you very much. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.